Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, how much is U.S. energy policy contributing to record fuel costs? And can we drill our way back to price stability? Industry experts from the American Petroleum Institute will help us better understand the complexities of a global market and our country's place in it. Also this morning, University of Findlay men's basketball is going dancing. Head coach Charlie Ernst previews the seventh-ranked Oilers matchup versus number two Ferris State in the NCAA Division II Regional later today. And we have another collection of tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, March 11th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is Debunking Day. It is also Dream Day, Johnny Appleseed Day, uh, National Promposal Day, National Oatmeal Nut Waffles Day, not just any old waffles, Oatmeal Nut Waffles Day today, World Plumbing Day. When you think about it, if there was anything worth celebrating, <laughs> it would be plumbing. Where would we be without it? I mean, think about it. And it is Worship of Tools Day. <laughs> I know some people who worship their tools. That's so leaping forward uh, one hour on Sunday. It's the time change weekend. And many experts say that it is time for the country to spring forward and stay forward. Law professor Steve Calandrio told the House Consumer Protection and Commerce Subcommittee uh, recently that while saving energy was the original justification for daylight saving time, the amount of energy actually being saved is relatively small. A 2008 study found that the total electricity savings of extended daylight time uh, at the end of the day was about 1.3 terawatt hour. That's how much energy we save total. And that corresponds to three one hundredths of 1% of electricity consumption over the year. 0.03% of our overall electricity consumption uh, saved, reduced because of shifting the, the clock and moving one hour of daylight uh, to the end of the day. Another argument for ending the time switching was the physical effects and the mental health of everyday people. Um, a lot of doctors have pointed out that the time change uh, can be tough on our bodies in many different ways. There are more accidents, more traffic accidents, more heart attacks, uh, all of these things on days in the immediate days following a time change. And um, and then there's the mental health uh, issue as well. Uh, lawmakers touted choosing daylight saving time as the permanent time, putting out the economic benefits of having the extra hour of sunlight in the afternoon or early evening. So that's really, although saving electricity was kind of the original idea, uh, it's actually turned out to be more of an economic benefit to having the daylight at the end of the day. Uh, so lawmakers from both parties have introduced bills in the House related to time change. the time change. Uh, there are two bills that would make daylight saving time permanent and two others that would give states the option to observe daylight saving year-round. Currently, states are able to opt out of the time change, but only if they permanently observe standard time. So that's what we're on right now. And then we spring forward to move the hour of sunlight from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And it makes sense. I, I don't know that we can. The argument against making it an option for the states which time zone they permanently observe. The argument against that is that then you would have a hodgepodge of laws. Theoretically, you could have a hodgepodge of laws from one state to the next. And it would be incredibly confusing. Let's say that Ohio stays on uh, daylight saving time and Pennsylvania does not. 
So part of the year then, uh, Pennsylvania would be on a different time zone than Ohio and then Indiana and Illinois. I mean, you could just, you can just see, uh, all of this confusion from one state to the next, uh, moving the clock forward and back and forward and back, even within the uh, same time zone. So I think we have to decide what it's going to be and everybody get on it. I am a proponent of daylight saving year round. I just, that's what I would prefer, but that's just me. Others may feel differently. By the way, I'm pretty excited about daylight saving time because uh, the clock uh, in my car will finally be right again. <laughs> when we moved the time back in the fall, I didn't bother to change the clock in my car because I knew we'd be springing forward here before too long. That and I, frankly, have forgotten how to do it. So, <laughs> so it's been an hour off <laughs> for a few months now, and it'll be back on time. So that'll be good. Uh, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. No secret, the gas prices are uh, climbing fast. AAA says uh, 59% of U.S. drivers in a new survey said that they would make changes if the average cost of gas goes above $4 per gallon. And guess what? It's above $4 per gallon. About three quarters of Americans say that if we get to five bucks a gallon, uh, then it would definitely be time to make some changes in our daily routine. routine. Uh, yesterday, uh, let's see here. AAA reported the national average for a gallon of gas, 432. Earlier this week, it was 417, so it continues to go up quickly. They say the impact on drivers varies by age. 18 to 34-year-olds are almost three times as likely to consider carpooling as those over the age of 35. And drivers over age 35 are more likely to combine trips and, uh, and errands and cut down on shopping and dining out due to higher gas prices. Still, AAA says they do not expect higher prices to have a significant impact on summer travel in the coming months. This survey found 52% of Americans say they have summer vacation plans. 42% say they would not change those plans regardless of the price of gas. So I think that speaks to just how anxious we are to travel again post-pandemic. So as the gas prices surge, some of the ways to get the most out of your next tank of gas, experts say avoid high speeds. As the speed of your vehicle increases, so too does its aerodynamic drag. State Farm says for most vehicles, gas mileage decreases exponentially the further you go over 50 miles an hour. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should hit the interstate and go 50 miles an hour. <laughs> but just keep in mind, the faster you go, the uh, less efficient your engine, your, uh, your car is. Combine short trips... And it's not just because, and you may, you may think, well, that's because you'd be starting from your home and going to point A and then coming home and then going to point B and then coming home and then going to point C and going home. And if you're combining trips, you're driving fewer miles. True, but also warm engines run more efficiently than cold ones. So running multiple errands at once rather than making shorter separate trips from a cold start means get better gas mileage as well. Uh, keep your tires properly inflated. Uh, properly inflated tires not only last longer, but can improve your gas mileage by more than 3% per tire. Cut down on the air conditioning. And, especially if you're driving at high speeds, keep the windows closed. Running the air conditioner uses about 20% more fuel because of the added strain on the engine. And by the way, the defrost position on your climate control system in your car in most vehicles turns on the air conditioner. I don't know if you knew that or not. When you turn on your defroster, you're actually using the uh, AC compressor uh, to uh, defrost your window. So if you have it on defrost, you're using the AC whether you realize it or not. So turn that off. Don't accelerate or brake too hard. Applying slow, steady acceleration and braking can increase your fuel economy by as much as 20%. And that is not insignificant. 
and lighten your load. Extra weight in the car creates drag on the engine, consumes extra gas, so remove any unnecessary items from the trunk and the back seat and so on. So uh, ways to get the most out of your tank. Uh, Let's see here. In the wake of, of course, the reason for the run-up, or one of the big reasons for the run-up at the pump, is the uh, conflict in Russia. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Meta said yesterday that some of Facebook and Instagram's hate speech restrictions have been loosened in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They say they have temporarily made allowances for forms of political expression that would normally violate their rules, like violent speech such as Death to the Russian invaders. (laughs) You can say that now. You can actually wish death on the Russian invaders. Now, they still will not allow for specific calls for violence against Russian civilians. However, Russian invaders would refer to the military troops, and that's fine. And this policy change, by the way, applies for Facebook and Instagram users in Armenia, Azerbaijan, Estonia, Georgia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, Russia, Slovakia, and, of course, Ukraine. And, by the way, people in those countries will also be allowed to use language targeting Russians in posts that are clearly about the invasion. Uh, Calls for the death of Vladimir Putin or the president of Belarus, uh, which has been supporting Russia, will be allowed, unless... They include other targets or indicators of being a credible threat. So if you're just blowing off steam, you're fine. Physically, actually threatening another human being, still a no-no. I thought that was kind of interesting. And how about this? Something to think about among the first things you need to know this morning. A new research paper from five Canadian scientists published last year called The Case for Space Sexology. Their argument is that if we are going to establish permanent colonies on other planets, eventually we're going to have to broach the subject of hookups in zero-G environments. (laughs) It makes sense. The uh, researchers say the long isolation of space coupled with the lack of privacy and access to intimate partners that astronauts currently suffer cannot be sustainable as missions stretch many months or even years. The goal of their research, they explain, is to explore the lack of research on space intimacy. Hmm. I guess I never really thought about it, but yeah, there is a point to be made there. If we're going to colonize other planets, uh, we have to know, can we reproduce on other planets? NASA, in response to this study by these Canadian scientists say they have uh, no position (laughs) on the issue. No pun intended. But they did acknowledge, should a future need for more in-depth study on reproductive health in space be identified, NASA would take the appropriate steps. So, just something to think about there. There you go, some of the uh, first things you need to know to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, a mix of rain and snow showers possible today, a high of 38, a chance of a rain-snow mix tonight as well, a low of 20. The Finley Fire Department is reminding everyone to change the batteries and their smoke alarms over the weekend when they move their clocks ahead for the time change. We spoke with Inspector Eric Wilkins about the importance of working smoke detectors. There is nothing in your house that is more important for your safety than a smoke detector. And when you're sleeping... The only thing that's going to wake you up is that smoke detector if there's a fire in your house. So it's getting around the time change, like you said. We like you to change your batteries at the time change. And he says batteries in your smoke detectors should be replaced every six months, and smoke detectors themselves last about 10 years before they should be replaced. Get more on the website. The Ohio Department of Health says it will no longer report COVID cases on a daily basis beginning next week. State Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff says the state will release updated COVID numbers once a week on Thursdays moving forward. Tiffin City Schools is once again searching for a new superintendent. Dr. Michael Zalar announced his resignation this week and will exit the role at the end of July. Zalar accepted the position just last year and is the fourth person to hold the job in the past five years. 
He said the decision to leave is not an easy one, but he wants to be closer to his family in the Cleveland area. The Big Shake handshake competition is underway at Bigelow Hill Intermediate School in Findlay. Principal Jennifer Tice says things like eye contact and a good handshake are a lost art. And that's what we hear from the community members that we work with. You know, that the skill set is lacking, and that's why they're really appreciative and very supportive and volunteer to come year after year um, to help judge this competition. Learn more about the competition and see some pictures on the website. The Highway Patrol says a father and son are the newest members of the Save by the Belt Club after their seatbelt saved them from suffering life-threatening injuries. The crash they were involved in happened on Interstate 75 in Allen County in December. Lieutenant Coyle, the Lima Post commander, says Jeremy and Jaden Cullen are living testimony to the effectiveness of safety belts, and he says everybody needs to buckle up every trip, every time. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, now to our cover story this morning. Just as the pandemic taught us very quickly more than we ever knew about the way infectious disease is spread, so too the dramatic sanctions against Russia for their invasion of Ukraine is teaching us uh, all a lesson in the workings of the global oil market. And who better to help us understand the complexities of that than the folks at the American Petroleum Institute. API Senior Vice President of Policy, Economics, and Regulatory Affairs, Frank Macchiarola, joins us now. And Frank, there have been a lot of kind of soundbite policy arguments uh, on this back and forth. On the one hand, uh, you hear some people say, hey, prices were steadily increasing over the past year or more, so you can't completely blame this on uh, the Russian sanctions. At the same time, the other side will say, hey, we could be producing more than we actually are here in this country. The point being that this is much more complex than just the sound bites and finger pointing that we will hear across the political aisle, right? Yeah, Chris, that, thanks for having me on. I actually think the in your lead in the the both there's some truth to both sides of those things. Number one, we were uh, we were experiencing um, some of this uh, the, the price increases and and a supply and demand imbalance before Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly Russia's invasion in Ukraine has exacerbated uh, the difficulties that we're having within the market. But also, we should be producing more oil and gas here in the United States. And 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 that makes us more secure. Uh, and, you know, it also has other benefits, not just uh, energy security, but it certainly right. changed um, the, the economic landscape in this country as well. Now, the uh, API actually has a really interesting blog post on why the U.S. must import and export oil. It's a couple of years old, so some of the numbers are obviously much different now, but the principles are, are, are the same. And one of the most important points is that not all oil is created equal. You need different types of oil to make different products, including gasoline and diesel and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, for for... You know, first off, to, to step back and consider it, we haven't had a refinery built uh, in the United States since 1982. And we had a shale revolution uh, that began around 2008 um, that brought all of this product domestically from shale rock that we didn't uh, know that we uh, either we didn't know that we had or we couldn't access because we didn't have the, the technology and the capability as a, as a country. We unlocked that in uh, the past decade. And all of a sudden, we're in a totally different uh, landscape. But, you know, some refinery configurations are, you know, not designed uh, to uh, best handle the, the light uh, oils that come from the United States and are, you know, uh, configured for heavier oils, for example. So, you know, the oil markets are complicated. Uh, the oil and gas is a very capital-intensive industry mm-hmm. is very complex um, but the fundamental principle that you started with is the is the right one that you know to be more secure as a country uh, it definitely benefits us to to access more of the resources that we have under our own feet 
So as it exists now, the system is uh, predicated on getting the right types of oil to the right places where it can be refined most efficiently. So when we hear that the U.S. up until a couple of years ago was quote unquote energy independent, that's not true in the way that we might think that that's not to say that we are uh, exporting uh, we are exporting more than we were importing not that we weren't importing any at all or that we even could yeah you know that's a that's another great question chris I, honestly folks have talked about energy independence for a long time and and i and i understand the the sentiment behind it but I'm not sure that that's the most effective way to think or to, to, to set an aspiration for energy policy. What I like to talk about is energy security um, because we're not independent in a lot of different things that we do. We, we certainly rely on other countries for strategic relationships. They rely on us, whether it's economic or state relationships. Um, but on the issue of energy, uh, you know, one, one way to, to look at it that is sort of crystallized this week for me was the United States was able to make this decision regarding Russian crude oil imports because of our energy security, because we produce more of the, the energy we have here at home, because we're able to rely on allies that have our interests for other sources of our energy, for other parts of the, of the mix. Europe, unfortunately, was not in that position. Right. And so you know, they, they, they are more reliant on um, the hostile regime for their energy. So, you know, again, I, I like to think of it as energy security rather than energy independence. Yeah. As it relates to Americans at the pump where it's hitting them the hardest, bottom line, would we still be looking at four or five dollar gas if we were producing as much as we were capable uh, the, as we are capable enough because my understanding is that we have always imported more than we have exported for the type of oil that we use for gasoline and diesel so if you look at the past uh, decade or so um, we we've we've more than doubled the production here in the united states um, essentially our consumption level is around 20 million barrels it's you know, certain, certainly our production as a percentage of consumption has risen significantly here in the U.S. and has uh, made us more secure. But as you note, uh, there's always going to be flows of this global commodity mm -hmm. from both imports and exports. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that, again, that's a I don't think prices are necessarily tied to that that those factors that we were just discussing. I mean, the mm -hmm. fundamentals of all prices are the price, of, price at the pump is primarily set by the price of crude oil. Right. Price of crude oil is primarily set by the laws of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. uh, when we saw demand drop by 20% during COVID, mm -hmm. we saw the prices drop because supplies did not keep pace. Well, We're seeing the reverse right now. Right. And, and uh, to take that one step further, uh, one of the reasons that uh, we aren't producing as much now as we were pre-pandemic, people may forget about this, is because of the pandemic, demand cratered, price tanked, and a lot of producers, many American producers, just stopped producing. Some even went bankrupt. Yeah, look, I mean, there was uh, no, there's no incentive on April 20th, 2020, 2020 mm -hmm. uh, when the price goes to negative $37, there's not a lot of incentive right. to go out and produce it. <laughs> right. So, um, and as you know, it's a, it's a, capital intensive long-term process to go out and you know develop explore produce uh um and so you know it will take time for that imbalance to to rebalance so to speak and i suppose just as a sidebar that may be it may have been one of the things in vladimir putin's mind is knowing that uh, globally there was less production going on and maybe we couldn't just cut off russian oil uh, as easily as uh, perhaps we could have a couple of years ago who knows that might have been a factor the the other question that I've heard asked as people try to understand what is happening in the oil market uh, is this. Last year, uh, looked it up, only about 8% of U.S. oil imports for all purposes came from Russia. So how can eliminating such a small percentage of oil coming into the U.S. 
caused prices at the pump to jump up so high and so rapidly? So markets are not just a function of supply and demand, they also are forward-looking. And so anytime you create this level of unrest in a producing area that produces close to 11% of the global uh, crude oil um, in, uh, that's consumed is, pr- is produced in, in Russia. And so you throw that into, um, into question on top of the supply demand uh, imbalance that we spoke about, frankly, on top of, uh, you know, considerations that folks have had about whether to invest long term in oil and gas, this sort of combination of factors, you know, public policies, um, you know, to restrict oil and gas, this these policies, all of these factors sort of layer up on top of each other and create the price environment that you see right now. Again, American Petroleum Institute Senior Vice President of Policy, Economics, and Regulatory Affairs, Frank Macchiarola, is uh, with us this morning. We referenced the uh, blog post, Why the U.S. Must Import and Export Oil. Again, uh, a lot of really interesting reading there that we will link up on our webpage if you want to uh, learn more about that. Uh, Frank, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, sharing some of your insight, helping us understand some of the dynamics that are going on uh, behind what we see uh, in our own pocketbook and uh, in the uh, headlines right now. appreciate it absolutely thank you chris good to talk to you in other news we have basketball to talk about as we head into the weekend now it's true the trojans are out all the bbc teams are out of the high school basketball tournament and the buckeyes got bounced from the big 10 tournament last night but we still have Basketball excitement. The University of Finley men's basketball team is going dancing. The seventh-ranked Oilers will meet number two Ferris State in the NCAA Division II Regional later on today. And on Wednesday's Coach's Corner, John Marshall got a preview from head coach Charlie Ernst. So many things to talk about. Let's start the Great Midwest Athletic Conference All-League Selections. Junior Nate Bruns was named first team. Senior Tremaine Gray was a second team choice. Well, it's always a great recognition. Uh, the thing that maybe stands out for me a little bit more is, you know, this was an awfully talented year for our conference, not only team-wise, which I think is playing itself out here in the NCAA tournament, but then also there was a lot of players that returned for that COVID year. So it was a league full of talent up and down rosters. So to be recognized, you know, 10 players are recognized on the first team, only 10, uh, and 10 on the second team. There is no honorable mention. Uh, so, you know, to be recognized on either team means you've been recognized by the your peer coaches as one of the top 20 players in the league. Your Oilers were selected to play in the NCAA Division II tournament. You are the seventh seed, and you go back to North Canton for a game on Friday afternoon against second-seeded Ferris State. The Bulldogs have gone 21-8 and this season. That included an 86-74 loss to your Oilers, but that was some three and a half months ago. Is there much that you can bring forward from that game to the matchup on Friday, other than maybe some confidence knowing that you can beat that team head-to-head? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have to... You know, you kind of have to compartmentalize what what are the takeaways and what are the things that, you know, you really can't take away because it's been so long ago. Certainly there's there's things in both ledgers. I think the takeaways are, one, you mentioned it, confidence that not only can we play with them, but we can beat them. Because we played that game with, I think we led the, the entire game. If I'm sorry, they, they got off to a good start, sort of like Walsh did. Mm-hmm. But then we closed the gap right up and led the, the, the rest of the way. Uh, but I think the other thing is is maybe quickness and speed because they rely on those things. And I think sometimes when all you have is video, you can't evaluate that when you talk matchups, when you talk game plan, if you don't really know. And I think our guys understand their quickness, their speed, some of the things they rely on. They want, they're going to want a fast game, a full court game. And while we could play that way, that would not be, 
smart of us to try to match them in that department. So we will want not necessarily a slow game, but a game that we have control on the pace. And uh, we have to be smart about how fast we want to attack them. Uh, so decision-making will be huge. On the other hand, I think the reason you can't use too much is we've both e- evolved quite a bit. Uh, you know, they're, they're more capable in the quarter court maybe than they were three and a half months ago. Uh, and maybe we're more capable in the full court than we were three and a half months ago. So, you know, it, it will be similar in some ways, but in other ways, we have to be prepared, uh, you know, for, for some things. I'm sure they're going to see some things they could have, uh, you know, maybe, uh, taken advantage of the first time that they didn't after they went back and watched video. We'll have to have our guys prepared for that. Is there one player, maybe two players, who you think, okay, if we can contain those, then we're probably in fair shape? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that jump out to me. Now, they their best player is probably the best player in the in the GLIAC, Walt Kelser. He's a 6'2 guard. He's a scorer, leads the GLIAC in scoring. He's an excellent player. He had 18 against us the first time, but I thought we did a really good job against him. Uh, the best anyone had done up to that point in the season. Um, and then I think secondly, uh, you know, they, they've got a wing named Lee Higgins who has had some outstanding shooting games this season. And uh, we totally, you know, handled him the first time. That's going to have to happen again. If you get yourself running at the three-point line, and they're a very good three-point shooting team, you know, then then it's a pick your poison. And uh, so we've got to take one or the other away from them. We took their, you know, their their ability to consistently make threes away from us. I think for us, one thing we've evolved in is our zones. We have used our zone defenses effectively throughout the year. And uh, this game will be no different, and we will find out how far we've come in that department. It's always one way to slow a team down, find their shooters in transition. Now, I think the, the, the final key to that, or everyone would do it, is we got to be able to rebound in our zones. This is an excellent rebounding team, uh, you know, but sometimes when you get to this level, you know, to, to gain in one area, you sacrifice in another and as a coach, you have to decide which area you're willing to sacrifice in, and those will be the decisions we'll have to make. Again, University of Findlay Oilers men's basketball coach Charlie Ernst uh, with John Marshall on the uh, Coach's Corner from earlier in the week previewing this afternoon's tilt with Ferris State in the NCAA Division II Regional. I believe the tip-off on that game is 2.30 this afternoon. And I remember, as uh, they were mentioning, uh, the Oilers beat Ferris State back in November, so they have a good shot at uh, advancing with a win today. Should they knock off Ferris State, they would move on to meet the winner of Hillsdale versus Cedarville, and they certainly could beat either of those teams. Uh, They beat uh, Hillsdale twice. They lost to Cedarville twice, but one of those was just by uh, two points, so uh, very close. And if they were to win there, they would then play on Monday night, and that would likely be a matchup against uh, Walsh, which is the number one seed. So best of luck to the Oilers this weekend. It's going to be a very busy weekend for the University of Findlay men's basketball team, and you can follow all of the action uh, at the University of Findlay Athletics website, which we have linked up at goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again? Well, that does not apply to doing stupid things. (laughs) For the second time in a week, emergency crews had to be called out to rescue two men from the frigid waters of Michigan's Saginaw Bay, after they plunged through the unstable ice, the same two men that they rescued from a previous incident. (laughs) The two fishermen were trying to retrieve items they had to abandon during their first rescue. (laughs) And they had to be rescued again. (laughs) 
The first rescue occurred this past Sunday when 23-year-old Jonathan Doty and 29-year-old Nicholas Mullins had to leave behind their snowmobiles, fishing equipment, and a pop-up camper due to a large crack in the ice. Bay County Sheriff Troy Cunningham uh, tells news reporters the U.S. Coast Guard had to rescue a third person with the men on that date as well. They... They took a 12-foot flat-bottom boat to cross the water out to the ice flow when it capsized in rough water. One of the two men's cell phones still worked, and he managed to call 911, giving updates on their location in the worsening conditions. The U.S. Coast Guard also responded and deployed an airboat and helicopter. The men were found about a mile and a half into the bay and were in the water for just over an hour, according to the sheriff. They were rushed to shore, placed in waiting ambulances, and taken to a nearby hospital for what appeared to be non-life-threatening injuries. They are being kept overnight for observation, the sheriff said. The two did have sense enough to wear life vests, without which they said they probably would not have survived. But (laughs) if you have to be rescued from from the unstable ice once... (laughs) Probably a good idea not to go back a second time to retrieve the items that you lost the first time. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Why did you do it again? Well, we had to get back all of the stuff we lost the first time. (laughs) Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a Tulsa woman is behind bars again. Uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Tulsa woman is behind bars, accused of shooting her husband twice. Cops say they were called to a home in Midtown this week after the victim called 911. Uh, they found the unidentified man with two gunshot wounds, one to the head and one to the torso. Uh, but apparently she was a lousy shot because he was able to call 911. Uh, he said uh, his wife, Linda, had shot him in the kitchen uh, he reportedly used an expletive when describing the woman to paramedics. <laughs> Probably no surprise. Uh, and he's, he told responding paramedics, quote, I can't believe she finally did it. <laughs> what, what a quote. I can't believe she finally did it. He was taken to the hospital Uh, His condition is unknown, but he will apparently recover. Uh, Ms. Uh, Burton, his wife, Linda Burton, was arrested at the scene. (laughs) I can't believe she actually did it. A man is under arrest for allegedly... We talk about all kinds of unusual thefts in the broken news. This is certainly one of those. In uh, Newport Beach, California, a man under arrest for allegedly stealing and subsequently crashing a yacht. Uh, police say they started chasing the suspect about 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. He allegedly crashed a stolen yacht into several other boats while going for a joyride. Police took him into custody after he crashed into a wall. <laughs> no injuries reported. Of all the things to steal to go on a joyride, I mean, not exactly inconspicuous, stealing a yacht. Uh, Here's something to keep in mind, uh, just a little piece of advice. If you were thinking about falling asleep in a dumpster, probably not a good idea. A man and a woman in Utah who were uh, sleeping in a West Valley City dumpster were dumped into a garbage truck on Thursday morning because that's the problem. And it's just one of many problems sleeping in a dumpster, but probably the biggest problem. Ended up getting uh, dumped into a garbage truck. Lieutenant Sean McCarthy, the West Valley Police Department, said the incident happened about 5.30 in the morning when a private garbage truck emptied the dumpster and the two individuals into the truck. It is unclear why the two were sleeping in the dumpster. (laughs) I would guess maybe some intoxicating substances were involved. Uh... And they also don't know exactly how they got the attention to the truck driver. The man was taken to be treated for a broken arm. Police did not mention if the woman suffered any injuries in the incident. So (laughs) had a little too much to party the night before, apparently. (laughs) I don't know. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, 
Our requisite story out of Cal- uh, out of Florida, rather, is the uh, woman Catherine Theodore, age 31, who was pulled over Sunday by deputies who noticed <laughs> that she was driving erratically. She has been charged with DUI for being high on deodorant. Being high on deodorant. Uh, officers said they noticed a stack of empty right guard cans in her car. Uh, the vehicle smelled strongly of deodorant. And Ms. Theodore, who cops say was obviously impaired, first explained, explained, tried to explain the whole thing away by claiming that she simply liked the smell of right guard. She later conceded that she had two drinks earlier in the day and then huffed the deodorant after she got into her car. She was arrested for driving under the influence of deodorant. Takes all kinds. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. The American Psychological Association's Stress in America poll is out this week, and probably no surprise that after two years of a pandemic, high inflation, and now Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Americans are feeling unprecedented levels of stress. 87% of Americans in this poll cited the cost of everyday items like groceries and gas as a significant source of stress. 84% said the invasion of Ukraine is terrifying to watch. That's a quote. The same percentage said their mental health has been greatly affected by a constant stream of crises without a break over the past couple of years. Clinical psychologist Lynn Bufka called the shared feeling of stress among Americans startling. She says, we usually do not see 80% of people telling us that some particular stressor is that stressful for so many individuals specifically as it relates to russia and this is interesting 80 percent said that they were concerned about potential retaliation uh, either through cyber attacks or nuclear threats and 69 percent say that they fear that we are witnessing the beginning stages of what could be world war three really Dramatic, startling numbers from the American Psychological Association's Stress in America report. I have a recipe for you today. Really? I have a recipe. Well, it's not really my recipe. Uh, it's actually something that has been uh, like going viral online, but I thought okay. this was interesting. I'll see what you think. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the uh, studio. Time for another collection of recipes <laughs> from Kyra's Kitchen, as Woo-hoo! we normally do on Fridays. <laughs> so if you have ever had a hankering for a big bowl of creamy mashed potatoes, okay. but either didn't have potatoes on, on hand okay. or the time to peel and boil them, this is your lucky day. I'm scared. <laughs> Thanks to the creative chefs of TikTok, you can throw out your stockpile of Just Add Water mashed potato mixes and reach for a big bag of potato chips instead. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Apparently, it's just uh, three steps, this recipe. Uh, you can make it with uh, any brand or flavor of chip, which means, which is kind of cool, you could actually uh, make a traditional... Uh, Southern-style mashed potatoes. You can kick your spuds up a notch. You can use uh, varieties like uh, sour cream and onion or barbecue. Barbecue uh, Mm -hmm. mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. So uh, here it is, the Internet's Mm. newest kitchen hack. You simply boil three ounces of potato chips in one cup of water. 
Okay. Mash and stir the potato chips until all the water is absorbed and the chips create kind of a paste. Okay. And then if there is any water left over, once the chips are nice and mushy, simply drain the potatoes and return them to the pot. Then you add in your dairy products for extra creaminess, your Your milk, milk, your your butter. butter. Cream, sour cream. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, whatever you like to add to your potatoes. And you finish with a sprinkle of salt and pepper, and voila, you have... And you probably wouldn't have to do a whole lot of salt and pepper, because potato chips are usually... Pretty salty. Fairly salty anyways. Yeah. So, that's what that... That's... It, again, comes courtesy of TikTok, so take that for what you will, but... uh, Hmm. That might be be worth an experiment. We may have to try that. (laughs) Just to see. It's kind of a poor man's mashed potatoes. There you go. So that's yeah. kind of like making tomatoes. I don't know tomatoes. about poor man's mashed potatoes. Oh, potato chips aren't that cheap <laughs> well, either. That's, that's a good I point. Mean, you're cheap. But if, you, but if you want mashed potatoes, you don't have anything but potato chips in the right. house, you can right. you can give it a try. It's kind of right. like making tomato soup with uh, ketchup. That doesn't happen <laughs> in our house. You are a potato chip that man. Is, <laughs> that is true. We you are like mashed potatoes. potatoes. Uh, yes, so, so we, we always are have, mashed potatoes. We have, always have but, that. But anyway, I thought that was yeah, really interesting. I so. never have extra potato chips in the house because <laughs> it's like I look, I was like, I just got you potato chips anyway. and they're gone. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> you like your potato chips. So there you go. That is my recipe. And yep. now, our regular collection of recipes <laughs> with my wife, Kyra. Uh, from Kyra's Kitchen, uh, you have a chicken spaghetti recipe. Yes. So yes. this is really good, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I really liked it. So two small, boneless, skinless chicken breasts, two teaspoons of Italian seasoning, uh, salt and pepper to taste, uh, two tablespoons of olive oil, four tablespoons of butter, one small yellow onion diced, uh, two tablespoons of minced garlic, four tablespoons of flour, one and a half cups of chicken broth, three-fourths cup milk, uh, four ounce cream cheese softened, one cup uh, cheddar cheese uh, shredded, uh, 10 ounce diced tomatoes and green chili uh, in the can, Eight ounce thin spaghetti, one cup of mozzarella cheese shredded. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Slice the chicken in half lengths to create two thinner slices. Pat dry and season lightly with salt and pepper and Italian seasoning. Heat the olive olive oil over the medium over medium high heat and sear your chicken on each side. Okay. What I did was to kind of make it go a little bit quicker. I went ahead and sliced my chicken. And, yeah, and seasoned like it, and then cooked it, chunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and then cooked it, mm-hmm. um, and then remove and set aside. And this has you dicing it afterwards. So I did it beforehand. I thought it was, um, it like I said, it cooked the chicken eat a lot a lot faster, a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. and I knew that it was cooked through. Yeah. Uh, then it in medium size. Uh, and then in the same pan, melt your butter. Use a sil- silicon spatula. Get all that good yummy stuff out of your, you know, <laughs> that's on the side of your pan and all right, that stuff right. from your cooking. Get that all loose. Add your onion and your garlic, and um, stir that and cook it for just a, for a little bit. Then um, then add your flour, and you're going to get a um, a roux. Um, that's going to start your gravy. Okay. Okay. So then after that, cook that for about two minutes, then gradually add your chicken broth and your milk a little at a time and whisk until you have a nice thick sauce. And then you can reduce your heat and then add your sour cream and stir um, constantly because you're going to have like little chunks in there of your mm-hmm. sour cream, right. even though it's at room temperature. So. Mm-hmm. Cook it or stir so that until to it's melt in mm-hmm, and blend yeah. and all of that. Yep, and keep stirring that until it's all melted and stuff. Uh, you shouldn't have any bits. Then sprinkle in your uh, shredded cheese and add your chicken and your tomatoes. And then uh, while that's um, cooking, uh, just then stir in your spaghetti or cook your spaghetti yeah um, and then you combine it all yeah combine it all then put it in a nine by 13 inch casserole dish 
dish, top with your mozzarella cheese, and bake for about 20 minutes. Mm. It so, is really good. It, it is. is. It's really, really good. good. So chicken spaghetti. Yes. Uh, to go along with that, you have a wedge salad recipe, really easy. Yes. So one small head of iceberg um, lettuce cut into four wedges, 68 slices of bacon cooked and crumbled, a quarter of a red onion chopped, two hard-boiled eggs chopped, uh, some blue cheese dressing, some balsamic glaze, and salt and pepper to taste. And then just place your wedge on an individual plate, top with your desired amount of blue cheese dressing, followed by your onion, your egg, and your bacon. Drizzle with some glaze and garnish with additional blue cheese if you want. There you go. Really easy, but really good. And even easier is the recipe for the strawberry cake delight for dessert. Correct. Uh, so your strawberry cake delight. This is really easy. So two 12 ounce bags of frozen mixed berries, one box of white cake mix, 12 ounce, uh, sparkling strawberry soda. That's it. So place your frozen fruit in a nine by 13 baking dish, add your cake mix over top of that, kind of sprinkle it all over the top of it. Uh, pour your soda slowly over the cake mix. Don't stir it. Um, and then, um, and then put this in the oven, bake for about, bake at 350 for about 45 to 50 minutes and you're done. You're done. You're done. Simple as that. Easy, easy. Those recipes are all posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. Also have them, uh, posted at the WFIN Facebook page. We have them shared there. And linked up at goodmornings.net. Recipes this week from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today and wrap up the week. Want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, understanding the why doesn't ease the pain at the pump. With Americans already feeling the sting of higher gas prices, what could the larger impact be on the U.S. economy as a whole? So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.